welcome to the Huntback Country podcast. This is episode number 398, and our guest is one of you, a listener of the show. And Tanner joins us today to tell us about his very first elk hunt from this past fall. It was a great story with a lot to share, some lessons learned that Tanner experienced and that you can learn from. And really just covers a wide variety of topics and things that we commonly get asked about from hunters as well. So, you know, we dive into things like sleeping near elk when you're backpacking, how close should you be, what things should you consider when doing so. We talk about encounters with other hunters while you're out in the field. One unique thing, uh, one of the many unique things I should say about Tanner's hunt is that he hunted the same year in archery and rifle seasons uh, in Montana. And so, you know, you can hear about his experience of the differences between archery and rifle hunting, both with obviously things like the weather, elk patterns, elk behavior, um, hunting pressure, things like that. And really this story culminates with a pretty unique turn of events that led to Tanner's success. So this is just a great podcast with both a fun story as well as a lot of experiences that we can learn from as well. As always, guys, we thank you so much for tuning in. If you have anything for us, send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. That could be one of your own hunting stories. It could be some questions that are very specific about hunting or gear or backpacking, etc. Or if you do have a specific question, another option is to look for the link in the show description that says leave a message, and you can leave us an audio message with whatever device you're using, and we will answer that on a future Monday Minute episode. If something comes to mind, go ahead and hit pause and do that right now. Otherwise, let's go ahead and dive into this conversation with Tanner. Well, Tanner, I'm excited to chat with you, man. Um, I have a, a preview of your hunt story by email, but don't have all the details uh, and it sounds it sounds like a neat story. I'm excited to share it, hear it personally, and and share it with the listeners. But before we get into it, man, what's your background? Just kind of some personal introduction, so listeners have some context for who you are and where you're coming from. Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Tanner. I'm from. I grew up in here in North Dakota, and grew up uh, hunting not not a lot of big game, just a little bit during the gun season here in North Dakota. And it was something I always looked forward to, but predominantly growing up, I was, a I did athletics, a lot of sports. So that took up the majority of my time. And then North Dakota's renowned waterfall place. So I did a lot of, a lot of bird hunting growing up. And then in high school, I got introduced by some buddies to archery hunting. And then that kind of consumed my whole life. And it's, it's exploded into like what my whole lifestyle is now. So it's, uh, it's been, a, it's been cool kind of coming up. Um, I, I, like I said, I did a lot of athletics in high school and then ended up playing baseball in college. So I didn't have a lot of time to hunt, but once baseball ended, I was like, man, what's next. So hunting kind of took over that for me. And, uh, it's been a, it's been awesome to uh dive into this world and my all my friends are hunters and fishers now and we work out together uh, i've got builds such great connections through hunting so it's a really cool industry to to get into that's awesome man you're just 
my story in a lot of ways how I, I grew up hunting some, but I would say pretty dang casually. And then, yeah, I was just busy through high school and college doing a lot of things, including athletics. And then once that wrapped up and got out of college and I was like, all right, free time, like fully on my own, a little bit of not only time, but, you know, a little more discretion on, oh, I'm making a little bit of money here. Like, what can I string together? And it, it definitely wasn't much, but um yeah, it was like honey became essentially the next chapter at that point in my life. Yeah, it's it's literally become my motivation for for a lot of things outside of family, of course. But uh, I, I'm so lucky to have it and have the the people that I had around me to introduce me to it too. When you say like a lot of your friend network in that is of hunters, are those people you did grow up with and went to school with, or have you kind of made a lot of connections, um, kind of specifically in this hunting journey? So, uh, uh, one of my best friends who got me into Western hunting specifically, we grew up together and he'd grown up hunting and I, and I say Western hunting, I mean, Western North Dakota, it's not true Western in the mountains hunting, but he grew up in, uh, hunting mule deer and whitetails in Western North Dakota. And he kind of, he introduced me into like spot and stock hunting. So when I, when I picked up archery in high school, it was all still whitetail stuff. And then he introduced me to mule deer hunting and spot and stock hunting. And that was, that was like when the, the switch flipped for me, I was like, wow, this was a lot of fun and I'm going to do a lot more of this. And, uh, our relationship bloomed because of that. And then through him, he had a couple of buddies that he had hunted with or went to college with. And I met them at a total archery challenge actually once in, uh, now we have a big group of guys. We had a group text. It's actually blowing up right now talking about hunts and 3D shoots we can be doing and fishing this spring. We're already planning a bear trip this spring. So um, that's kind of how this group spawned. That's cool, man. Let's get in. I have a feeling there's going to be plenty to chat about and I already want to go in different directions. But let's focus in on this hunt we're going to talk about. You, uh, to cut to the chase, drew an elk tag for montana so before drawing the tag i guess what what made you set your sights on montana specifically like why why are you targeting that i me and my group of buddies we had been looking at doing uh, a draw tag in or i should say a permit tag in in montana and of course to get that you got to draw the general tag um well that tag is becoming harder and harder to draw and i was kind of sick of uh saving up points to to go for that and i was kind of in the point pool where it might be it might happen this year might not but i was like i you know what i want to go elk hunting um montana's close um a couple of buddies have been there so there's a little bit of prior knowledge there to pick from um that that's kind of how we we picked it uh it just ended up lining up to be the the first place that i ended up getting an elk tag i mean i apply in a couple other states as well but that was the first one that I've gotten. So we, I drew it and didn't draw the permit tag, unfortunately, but still ended up having a pretty cool hunt. So nice. So is for you is your first elk tag, is it also your first out of state hunt then? I've hunted antelope out of state, but, um, other than that, yeah, I guess it, and it, it was also my first tag in Montana. So there was that too. And I did draw the combo. So I had a mule deer and an elk tag nice how many guys ended up like what was the game plan what was the group how many guys had tags how many guys were going 
what was what were those logistics our group um we had a couple got actually nobody else drew a tag this year but me so okay. right away i, I kind of hit the panic button right away i was like oh no i'm, I'm, I'm gonna do this <laughs> by way myself out. now <laughs> but no i one of my buddies he didn't draw any elk tags this year he's like no I'll, man i've been there before i'll go with you and help you out so i was pretty grateful for that and then the rest of our group actually uh went to colorado to hunt they've been going there for a few years and so it was kind of fun to have that dynamic too going on where they were in another state hunting elk and we could kind of bounce ideas off each other when we had service to see uh what kind of action they were seeing and what we were seeing so um that yeah that was how that worked out that's a lot of fun having that and it's great like uh it's great you're in this group where guys are already selfless right like good enough to no man you're not going alone i'm in it with you that's that's so dang helpful yeah absolutely i to be honest if i had to go by myself i don't know that i i would have gone because it would have been pretty overwhelming for to go on your first elk hunt alone Mm -hmm. 14 hours away from home so yeah been there done that (laughs) yeah um you're so you mentioned in the friend group there was some previous experience in montana was the guy who went with you had he gone to montana before has he had a tag out there before did he have any first-hand experience uh yeah so he he did have a tag before he didn't go for archery though he he ended up using his tag in the rifle season but he helped another one of our buddies so pretty selfless guy going out there with all these on these archery hunts without a tag but he uh he was helping somebody else and he so he had only spent i think five or six days maybe out there but it was in the general area that i was looking at anyways so um it it was really good to have him along too but still five or six days is not a ton of experience archery elk hunting either so but it's more than zero yeah and you made it sound like so you've done some research kind of narrowed down at least a broader area but that was where the firsthand experience kind of paired up with so that's it's a uh, good when you do your own research it's also good when at least the general direction is kind of somewhat confirmed in a way yeah yeah in montana it's it's pretty difficult to to do that in montana because it's like it's a great it's a great opportunity because you can hunt most of montana with it but it's mm-hmm. also bad at the same time because like how do i pick a spot i can literally go anywhere yeah yeah it's so so stinking much country to narrow down and yeah i mean it's a great state to hunt but it's yeah it's like how do you narrow that down yeah and especially i i've been over there prior to that to the mountains in montana i'd been there twice for for bear hunting in the spring but we went to a completely different area so um i was not very familiar with it at all but once I kind of narrowed down that area and bounced the ideas off of my buddy who'd been there, he'd be like, he was kind of in agreement with me that, yeah, this could be a good spot. Let's try that. Um, we also wanted to go in with a, with a lot of different plans. We didn't want to just bank on one area being good because we've heard that pressure could be a lot, obviously on a general tag on opening weekend. And we could also get into some spots that maybe just didn't have elk and I, my my hopes weren't super high that we were going to get an elk, but I really, really wanted to just try to figure out some spots where maybe there had been elk or there is elk sign and elk activity so that at least we know we're in the right vicinity of elk. Um, not, not totally expecting 
to go in there and just kill a bull on day one or anything like that. But we were going to be pretty picky about finding sign and keeping pretty mobile. Yeah. So when you say pretty picky about finding sign, meaning if you go into area, you're going to pull the plug pretty quick if you're not seeing sign and really be, I guess you're not too committed to like, oh, I did all the sea scouting, all this stuff and not too invested in it where on the ground you're willing to be like, no, I thought this was maybe great. It's clearly not great. I'm not seeing sign. Let's move. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that's a, I bring that up because it's a mistake I've made in the past. And I think people are um, like prone to make that mistake, you know, as you do a lot of like research and e-scouting, I think one thing that we as hunters tend to do, whether it's conscious or subconscious is like, tell this story. Right. And it's good. Like it, it builds positivity. It builds confidence. And I'm not trying to destroy any of that, but we build this story of, Oh, this makes sense. Like I have this great plan. I east out of this stuff and the elk are going to move from bed to feet here. And there's going to be water there. And like you paint this picture and then you sometimes just kind of get smacked in the face with reality when you get on the ground. But sometimes you're just so committed to this call it story. You've told yourself that it's hard to give up and be like, Oh man, I put in a ton of research and all these hours and clearly made the wrong decision. So I think it's really, I just am highlighting that because I think it's a great mindset you had going into it of, Hey, let's get in here. Let's hunt hard. Like, let's, let's look like, I think this is going to be great, but I'm, I'm not putting all my eggs in this basket. Yeah, absolutely. We, and going into it, not so for, if I was going on a mule deer hunt, I might have a different mindset and fall into that same trap of like, man this is such a good spot i get there it looks good and there should be deer right there there should be deer there and there's not deer there and it's like you just keep wanting to push harder and harder and eventually come to the fact that you know what maybe there's just not deer here for whatever reason and i would maybe fall into that trap with deer but since i don't know a ton about elk and we didn't have the experience i was like no let's let's try to be smart about this and not pretend we know more than we do yeah that's a that's great man before we dive into the last or before we dive in to the hunt itself kind of last thought would be leading up to the season were there any big big changes like whether that's like your first out of state elk hunt did you change training did you change gear like any any big notable stuff there yeah um i my buddy that was going with me and myself hit the gym really, really hard, um, five, six days a week for four or five months in advance. Um, we, I, it kind of changed my whole gym mindset too. Cause I had been going to the gym before and I was doing kind of a lot of just repetition, like weight stuff and trying to get strong and look good. And then after a few months of that, I realized actually went on a shed hunt. That's, that's what opened my eyes in the spring. Uh, we went on a shed hunt. We did like a 16 mile day or 18 mile day or something like that. And I was absolutely beat. And this is 16 or 18 miles on pretty flat ground. So it's not like in the mountains with a ton of terrain, but it's still a lot of miles. And when I got done with that, I was like, holy cow, I am gassed. I could not do another day of this. And that's when it kind of said, it was like, man, we need to shift our focus in the gym and get more of a 
a cardio balance in there, work on more flexibility stuff. We were having hip and knee up issues and, and we're only 25, 26 years old. So these shouldn't be problems <laughs> that we're having. So, uh, we did change things up and that, that helped a lot. Cause, uh, on the elk hunt, I don't think either of us ever really felt like we couldn't go further. Or we couldn't go another day. That's awesome. What were some of the specifics when you say you changed stuff? Like what did you do? Whether that's mentioning like a specific movement or exercise or just kind of, yeah. Any, any specifics on the training? Yeah. So beforehand, before we changed it up, we would just basically go in do like a nice half mile jog and then get a lift in and go home. Well, we changed it up and mixed in there. We would do full cardio days, like uphill sprints, flat ground sprints, um, go on the stair, stair climber and climb a thousand feet really fast and just grind through the burn. Um, the good thing about the gym is you can kind of control those environments. So you can push, push pretty hard and, and still get a lot out of it. But we did a lot of that. And then we also mixed in a lot more stretching, which was a, which is a big deal for both of, especially me. He, he's pretty flexible, but I, I had lost a ton of flexibility from just not focusing on it. And I could really tell in my hips and knees, when before I was stretching, they would they would hurt pretty badly pretty early into hikes, especially going up hills. And now that I've focused on stretching much more often, uh, it, those those pains have pretty much gone away. So that's that was a really important one for me specifically. What do you um, the stretches? I don't know if you can like actually name stuff or like briefly describe it, but for knees and then hips specifically like you mentioned it and it just comes up so often from from guys whether they're 25 or 55 those are obviously critical like issues that guys have in the backcountry and putting on miles so can you elaborate further on any specific stretches or movements that you think helped those two things specifically or either one of those things yeah for for stretches uh, a lot of hip flexor stuff um and then like really sitting deep into those stretches for a, like a long period of time, it's pretty uncomfortable when you're first starting it. Cause it's, cause you're not flexible and it hurts a lot, but after you kind of get into it, it does, it actually starts to feel good. So I do it almost every day now and it, and it gets better and better, but, um, a lot of, a lot of hip flexor stuff and then just making sure like quads and hamstrings and, and calves are all like really stretched out and ready to go before you work out. And then even after you work out too, getting those things stretched out so that you're not locking right back up afterwards, um, made a big difference for me. Um, and then for workouts, making sure, especially on leg day type of stuff. So squatting and, and anything like that, making sure you have just perfect form and you're getting good depth, like all of that stuff kind of plays into each other. And if you're not doing it, you can, you could be hurting yourself especially if you're training to go on a on a hunt in my opinion so um, making sure you have really good form and getting deep into those exercises and doing it the right way like it it made me take a ton of weight out of my routines which is fine now but at the time i was like no i i worked up to this big heavy weight and that's what my goal was but it wasn't for me it's not what i was training for so i needed to back off and kind of reevaluate what we were doing it as a workout and uh, change it up so that I could be healthy and go further on the mountain. Super smart, man. Super smart. I would say the 
the hip flexor stuff is key because sometimes the like what will um just drew blank on the word what will seem to be a knee issue like what will the symptom may be a knee issue but the cause could be like hip and lower back stuff um and a lot of us especially guys like you know you work at the computer you drive or you're just in a lot of static positions for a good portion of the day um many of us just have super weak and immobile hip flexors and so I would just say focus on that stuff is really important so just to elaborate on what you said whatever that looks like for you like guys can get on and look up hip flexor, hip extension, hip abductor exercises. Um, and the great thing is it could be super simple. Um, you don't have to go to the gym. You can do it sitting at home or doing whatever. That's a lot of times when I'll do kind of that stretching and mobility stuff is just at the end of the day. I mean, little simple things like seated leg lifts um, can make a huge difference for sure. Yeah. And and I'm not an athletic trainer or anything. So it's it's not like this is super professional advice. This That's what worked for me. And it didn't, it definitely didn't happen overnight either. It was, it was a process of taking things out, putting things in and making adjustments here and there. So finding what works for you, I think that's, that's, was the biggest thing for me was like, okay, I'm doing all the stuff that other people say I should be doing, but is this actually helping me? And, uh, reevaluating that and picking apart my workouts was, was a big deal. Yeah, that's huge, man. And not to like, uh, paint with too broad of a brush but i would say it, it's probably pretty unique for someone at your age to recognize that because <laughs> as you said a lot of times guys are just like no man i've trained super hard to get up to this back squat at this amount but you're realizing like yeah but it's not with a proper full range of motion it's not with proper mobility it's actually causing some issues for the goals that i have so i'll just say that that's really I think would probably be pretty unique of a guy your age willing to recognize that and like be humble enough to take a bunch of weight off the bar, but change the movement to be more beneficial for what you're actually trying to do. Yeah. Thank you. Well, dive into the hunt, man. Do you guys, I think you were planning on going right for the opener for archery, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I drew the tag and I, I did, I got married this fall. So that was on September 17th, which was kind of the time frame that I would have liked to go. Your but, wedding was uh, September 17th? Yeah. Oh, so man. you got like decades of problems ahead of you. I know. <laughs> I know. We've already had a long conversation about it, but uh, <laughs> it, it, ended, it was on September 17th and that's what I agreed to. So um, I told her, and of course I draw the tag this year and I'm like, oh no how is this going to work for archery and the way we made it work was we're like we can go opening weekend we can set aside i think it was going to be nine yeah it was nine days and then one day before season to kind of pack in and hopefully find something mm -hmm. and it would be so it was like the first week of september is what it was how did it start obviously you get to the early september hunt and there's always you know, those risks of weather, um, super hot heat, you know, what were the conditions like early in September for Montana? It was really, really hot. Um, I, I want to say a couple of the days were over a hundred degrees in the middle of the day. Oof. It was, yeah, it was pretty brutal. I actually have videos on my phone of my buddy swimming in a, in a Creek that we had found. It was pretty funny. And <laughs> we, we were sending it to our buddies in Colorado we're having a vastly different experience than us on the first day, but 
yeah, it was, it was hot. Um, not a lot of wind either. So, and it was pretty much that way the entire trip. Um, the only real comfortable temperatures we got into would have been right away in the morning and it was like 30 or 40 degrees. So not ideal for, for elk hunting in my experience now. <laughs> yeah. So going back to what you said earlier, you're, you're making a plan, but you're gonna be pretty quick to get in there, cover some ground, look for sign and pull the plug if needed. What were the first couple of days like? Did you do that quick? Did you, was the first spot tough? Did you find any sign? Did you guys move around a lot early? Yeah. So our first spot, um, I put a, I put a lot of eggs in this basket cause I knew that there had been elk in this spot from the year before from some Intel I had gotten and we hiked in we this is where our first mistake happened was literally on the day before season so season's not even open yet and we're already making mistakes but uh, we we hike in halfway on a trail and then the trail kind of goes up and around this ridge and i had the bright idea that hey let's hop up on this ridge and hike this ridge and see if there's any elk activity up on top so we bomb up straight up a ridge we get up there and the ridge ended up being a ton of deadfall, pretty steep, and took us a long time to get to where I wanted to get to. So it's like three or four in the afternoon now, and we gotten up there finally and hadn't seen any elk sign on the way up. And then when we finally got up there, all we found was old elk sign. And to our surprise a little bit, uh, we didn't expect it to be that dry, but we got up on top to where I thought would be a good spot and we're pretty close to where we had a, actually had a pin dropped from where people had seen some elk the year before. And it was again, all old sign and it was very, very dry. Like the kind of dry where you're walking and dust is coming up from your feet and like everything is just brown and dead. And we're like, there's no way that there's any elk living right here right now. Like there's no, there's no, there's nothing to eat. Everything's dry and dead. And, you know, maybe they can get by in that and I'm sure there are elk in there somewhere, but it just didn't seem right. And no, and no fresh sign was pretty concerning. So we actually ended up bombing straight out of there that night and going back to the truck. And if, if I could go back and do it again, we would have hiked in on the trail and we probably have got back there a little further and it'll have been a little bit easier hiking to, to hopefully cover more ground, but um, I, I, we'd seen all we needed to see for that spot, I think. And then we, when we got out to the trailhead and the other thing I should add, we pulled up to the trailhead and there was nobody there, which was pretty surprising. I expected a few trucks, at least, you know, the day before opener, but there was nobody there. And then we hike out and we get back to the pickup and there were like five trucks parked around us. So, um, and we actually ran into a local who told us it had been a pretty dry year up there and, he gave us some very like really valuable intel to work off of too. He said early season in that general area that he didn't expect us to hear any bugles at all. He said, maybe if you get lucky and you're out there in the morning for a little while, like early morning before the sun comes up, you might hear one or two bugles, but he's like, yeah, you guys probably shouldn't expect to hear really any bugling going on right now. And that his plan was to go, he had a little, I guess he had a little honey hole up there somewhere uh, with a wallow in it. So he was going to go sit on that for a few days. 
Got it. The intel you had for this area and even like that pin you mentioned up on the ridge, do you know that intel, like the time of the season that intel came from? So like, okay, here's a pin. We've seen elk here, whoever that was. Was that archery season? Was it later? Was it a different part of archery season? It was, uh, it was archery season and it was later. I don't, the, the people we got it from didn't give it, give us a date, but it yeah. sounded like it was like peak rut. Cause they did get into a lot of bugling up there. What's the decision, everything you just processed and kind of described what's, what's the move from that? Yeah. So we get back to the truck. We decide, okay, let's get to service. Let's look at some of our other spots and we shifted our focus to water. So we're like, let's find a place where there's going to be quite a bit of water. And if it's going to be this dry everywhere we go, there's almost going to have to be some sort of elk activity around the water. So we found, we ended up finding a spot a little ways away. It was a little bit of a drive, but we found a spot that had a a good, looked like a good spring coming out and then maybe like a little, a little Creek or flowage coming out of a spring. So we decided we'd go check that out and see if there was water in it. And so opening day, we pull up, uh, nobody at that, it wasn't a trailhead, but it was kind of a pull off. We hike in there and immediately on, upon hiking in there, we're starting to see a little more, I I wouldn't call it fresh elk sign, but elk sign from this year. And that was encouraging to see. And we hadn't even made it real far from the trailhead or the pull off yet. So we're like, okay, well, there, there's something to to work with and we hike in and we find a ridge that leads down to where this water was going to be and we're hiking down this ridge and we stopped to take a just a little breakfast break and it's like maybe 10 11 in the morning now it's getting pretty hot probably 80 90 degrees already and we're sitting there eating and all of a sudden we hear cow call cow calls from below us we're like there's no way there's there's just elk right here right now right and we we're like sitting there listening and we couldn't we couldn't tell if it was people or elk like we we both thought it was maybe people right away because there was a like a weird amount of call, cow calling and then we decided okay let's get our stuff together and try to get out in front of we could kind of tell they were moving from our right to left down the ridge and we wanted to try to get in front of them and the the wind was good it was coming up the thermals were coming up so we thought you know maybe there's a chance and maybe we could call them in or at least get eyes on them and see if it is elk and we got down there until where we thought they were and we actually ended up smelling them so we're like okay there's definitely elk here and we never did get to see them but we did kind of find where they we thought they went to and we ended up sitting on that almost all day and come to find out that they were they were not there so it was a it was a little it was kind of a weird spot where we thought they went it was like on a south ridge but it kind of turned to go west so there was a little bit of a north pocket on it and we thought maybe they had slipped into there to bed and we kind of picked our way through there after a while and there was no elk sign and there was no elk in there so we're like okay Maybe it was people, but we smelled elk and we heard them. So we were like, oh, we're not going to give up on this spot yet because that was too promising. So we had found our way to the water and 
got over there, checked it out. No, there's some elk sign, not a ton. I was really hoping to see more and I got a little discouraged about it just because I, I f- thought with this spot, it looked really, really good. There was some like lush green grass down in this bottom and fresh water literally running out. So I was like, gosh, this looks really good. So we're like, okay, we don't have anything else going. It's starting to get late in the day. Let's just go dip into the timber a little bit and just watch the water for the night and we'll camp out near here. And we're sitting there <laughs> in the trees and we're kind of just talking and trying to figure out what we should do for tomorrow. The sun had just set, the thermals had just switched. And then all of a sudden we hear this just crashing coming down behind us. We're like, oh my goodness, there is literally elk running to us, like right to us right now. We could not believe it. And I, I grabbed my bow. I had an arrow knocked already just in case something came to the water out in front of us. And I'm like standing up and my buddy's up behind me and the elk are coming towards us. And I was like, I told him to get on his knees or lay down. Cause like, I might have to shoot over the top of you at like five <laughs> yards. Like, I don't like they're coming right at us. I couldn't believe it. And I, they, they ended up kind of veering off to the side a little bit and I peeked my head out and I could see a cow at about 25, 30 yards, just walking out. And I, And I didn't lead with this, but I I went into Montana to shoot an elk, not just a bull or anything like that. I I wanted to shoot one elk regardless of the, as long as it's legal, Mm -hmm. Um, because you can't shoot a spike in a lot of places there, but so legal elk, I was going to shoot. So this cow is coming out and I'm, I got my release on my, on my D loop and I'm like, the cow needs to take maybe one, two more steps and she's out at 25, 30 yards. And I'm probably going to fill my elk tag on opening day could not believe it so i'm she's just about to take a step and then all of a sudden all of the elk turn and sprint up the up back up the mountain and we're like what what just happened he he thought they saw me and i was like no i was like she was not even looking my direction and the other elk hadn't made it down to us yet and the wind was good the whole time and we're like i i don't know how they how they busted like what and then as we're trying to figure out what happened, we look down and coming through the meadow are two other hunters who had just walked out and busted the elk oh. uh, right in front of us, man. They just like kind of stepped right out into the open area. Yeah. Like I, I think they had been hunting in the same general area and they were just on their way back to camp or on their way out and were just nonchalant walking right through the middle of the meadow. Um, and then I don't think they even saw the elk, but I was like, I, I could not believe it. I was like, man, 30 more seconds and we have an elk and yeah. these guys stepped out and we ended up talking to them. Uh, there were, there were a couple, couple of kids about our age and this is where like the local, local thing is good and bad. In my opinion, they were giving us some ideas, but I think they were kind of fluffing us a little bit which is fine. I don't expect anybody to give us, give us any information unwarranted or anything like that. But they were saying there's no elk here. They've never heard a bugle here before and they've been hunting. <laughs> then why for are they here? Years. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> if you, if you live this close and you're hunting here, there's gotta be a reason why. Yeah. But, you're like number one, you just screwed up all the elk. Number two, yeah. if you've been hunting here six years and haven't seen elk or heard a bugle, why do you keep coming back? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
that was that's what we were talking about and so we kind of took what they said with a grain of salt um it, it was kind of funny too because they so they walk out through the middle of the meadow and walk off into the sunset and we're sitting there like looking at each other like can you believe that just happened like who that would only happen to us and I, we look up down the meadow and there's a a six by six bull walking right behind where the kids had just walked out oh my we're goodness like, we're like what is going on right now it's like do you think they saw it? like the the bull probably popped out five minutes after they had walked by we were like oh my goodness so and and now it's like too dark the wind is going and the right at the bull and we're like 200 yards away so we're like uh we just ended up uh trying to swing out and not bump him mm-hmm. we're like okay now we got elk and we know where some elk are at like let's try not to mess this up and get out of here and camp a little bit of ways away yeah. i'd be some i'd be curious to see what your opinion is on on this like so we got this hot spot of elk activity and we're trying to figure out a spot to set up camp we knew we wanted to get downwind of of where all the elk had been for our camp but how far do you think would you normally want to set up if you're in a if you got a spot like that uh from the elk yeah it's always tough because it's not um it's not purely distance related. Like it's a matter of sometimes using terrain too. Right. So Mm -hmm. you could stay in the vicinity, but as you said, like think through, okay, you know, overnight the thermal should be dropping and, or considering like if there is a prevailing wind that should be coming out of whatever direction. Um, and then just thinking through, like you guys were seeing those elk, then they were coming down to this area and at water, and we're going, you know, to, to probably feed and yeah, they'll continue to feed. But if they're not out all night feeding, like, where do I think they're going to stay in vicinity? So it's just, I mean, there's a, again, like, it's not always a distance equation. It's just trying to piece together that puzzle and thinking through how you think they're going to um, use that area for that night. Ideally, you do want to stay somewhat close so that you have an option in the morning or that you so that you are hearing them overnight because maybe you're awakened by a bugle um, or maybe it's an early morning bugle before you guys are actually hunting but you can like hear that bugle maybe hear the direction that they're moving off into um so on one hand like proximity is good on the other hand obviously you don't want to completely get your presence all over the area um so in general i just try and keep keep in vicinity to where I think I'm going to reduce my presence, meaning my scent primarily potentially noise secondarily, but at the same time, try and stay close enough that I'm in a really good spot for the morning and, or, and potentially hearing something at night that's going to give me even, even further information. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I've certainly even unintentionally, have camped and woken up to elk very close to me. Um, you know, as kind of as long as the prevailing wind and door thermals are in your favor, you know, I've had, I've had elk within 150 yards of my tent, right? Um, close enough that <laughs> one hunt in particular, I remember I had no idea that elk had moved in close and literally unzipping my tent spooked a whole herd of elk, right? I had oh. no idea. Like they weren't bugling. Oh they were there. It was quiet. And it was like, and I just didn't know. And I was like, oh, shoot. 
Um, so what I'm illustrating to that is like they can be even close to you when that wind is right. Um, so that was rambly. I try not to play too much into just because I'm here. It's going to mess it up. It's just a matter of I'm here. How do I reduce my presence in general of noise and scent? And then obviously the biggest factor being that wind and thermal. Yeah. So I think we did a pretty good job on this particular spot. Then we, we went down, downhill, down the ridge quite a ways and found a flat spot in a different little meadow. That was definitely, it was like, we actually ended up camping on the border of private and public. So we're like, well, if there's something on the private, we can't hunt it anyways. We'll just sleep here. So it was a pretty good ways away, but we ended up, uh, long story short on that spot, we hunted it for two and a half or three more days and never ran into elk again, never saw elk again, never heard or smelled elk again. Um, it was kind of a bummer because we're like, we finally got it. Not finally. It was, I mean, it's only, that was only the second day we were out there, but we we're like, we figured something out for ourselves and, and got into this area with elk, but now they're gone, I guess. So, um, we did find some, we did find some like good North slopes that were full of old rubs and maybe a couple new ones, but like, it's an area that I'm definitely not afraid to go back to and would probably like to get back into in the later into the rut when it's things are picked up a little more. Yeah. And that's an, another thing I failed to mention in my previous, re, previously rambly answer is part of my decision on location depends on how invested I am in that area. Like specifically mean how long I think I'm going to remain in the area or even how long is left in the hunt, right? So if it's later into the hunt, I'm less concerned about it, right? If I do mess this up, okay, but that's like a risk I'm willing to take. I'd rather stay in proximity because I'm not necessarily throwing the Hail Mary, but like I got to make something happen. It's late in the hunt. I'm more willing to take some risks. And then on the flip side of that is regardless of like what happens the next day, am I, do I plan to continue hunting this specific pocket much or not? Like, am I on a backpack hunt or maybe I'm making a loop and yeah, I have more time on my hunt in general. Like, it, you know, I have three, four more days, but maybe I'm either going to be on these elk in the morning or I'm going to be moving on. And again, in a situation like that, I'm a little bit less concerned. I'm still trying to play it smart, but I'm a little bit less concerned with like, okay, I'm going to camp closer, take a little bit of risk. Cause I know I, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's the end of my hunt or I have to go resupply or whatever times of the essence here, I'm going to make a play in the morning or maybe mess this up, you know? Um, so that's another thing I just wanted to add there. Cause I thought of it as you guys were talking about like what you mentioned, like even on, um, camping near the private and it's like okay the wind's blowing there but we're not hunting those elk that's what made me think of that factor yeah and the other reason i brought this up was because so we went those those next three days without seeing or hearing or smelling elk so we decided to pack up and try something new because now we're on day four we're going into day five and we have about four more days we can actually hunt. So we decided to go somewhere where my buddy had been before and got into really good rut action. And again, it was later in the season. So 
kind of working off of old information that's not totally relevant to our situation at the moment, but he did have a pin on a really good wallow they found. And we decided, okay, well, what what can it hurt? Let's go check that out. And we got there and it's kind of a, that, that spot was kind of a spot that's surrounded by a lot of private. So we're like, that could be good too. Maybe there's water tanks on the private that they're utilizing as well. And maybe bedding in the, in the public because the public was a little thicker around there. And we got in there and the wallow, we got to the wallow and it looked like maybe it had been hit a few days ago. I mean, it's kind of hard to judge but it, it was a little muddy, like it hadn't been sitting there. So something had definitely been in it. There was a few fresh tracks in the mud, but not crazy sign there either. And it's kind of a spot where we were able to glass too. So that was nice, um, especially uh, us coming from North Dakota, where there's hardly a tree for miles. Being able to pull out the binoculars was really refreshing. And uh, we didn't see see any elk we didn't hear any elk that night either and we had one more spot to try and we're now with two or three days left in the trip so we're like all right this and this spot was gonna be a bit of a drive so we we drive over there hike in get up to a ridge and we're kind of glassing across and my buddy's kind of breaking down this area he'd been there before and they got into some bugling bulls there as well and we He's like, that meadow right there across from us, that was really good. There was a lot of sign in it. He's like, let's get up over there and check that out and see if there's at least elk around here. So we get up to the bottom of that meadow and just get hit with like the strongest like smell of elk. Like the it's it's so nice when you don't see or hear elk for four or five days to just get that nice smell of elk and you just lights you up like a Christmas tree. And we got real excited and and started getting set up to do some just some like light cow calling, or we we had to wait a little bit for the wind to get to get stable. It was kind of swirling in this meadow, and we're like, you know, we're kind of discussing while we're waiting for the wind. Do we wait for the elk to come out in the meadow and hope they're going to come feed, or do we get aggressive and and try to do some light cow calling and see if a curious bull will just come check us out? Um, the the sun started to set and we started to run out of time. So we're like, okay, let's, let's do some light cow calling. We got a good wind now. Um, so I went and got set up on the edge of the meadow and he went back down the hill a ways and did some light cow calling and nothing ever came out. So we decided to go up, get up on top of the ridge and get camp set up because it was getting really dark now. And we hiked like 150 yards from the tent to get on a little bit of a an edge where we could see across into the next onto the next like north slope it was really thick but you could kind of glass some little spots and again we're losing a lot of light so it's like kind of a mute point we're mostly just wanted to get somewhere away from camp to eat supper and and uh hang our food so we're sitting there and my buddy's like joking around he's like should i just let out a a, a bugle into the canyon here and I was like, yeah, what's, what's it going to hurt? And he, he does it and bugles and nothing, nothing responds. We don't see anything. And now it's like to the darkness of where you can just see shapes. And we're hiking back over to the tent and I look up and there is a six by six bull standing not five yards from our tent. 
staring no right at us. Oh. And I'm like, oh no. So and my and my bow is in my tent. We're only probably 40 yards from the elk. My bow is in the tent. I didn't even bring it with me, which was stupid now. But at the time, like when you're in the situation, you don't think about it. Right. It's like we're literally just going to eat food and hang the food or hang our food and then come to bed. And so we we run over there. I grab my bow out of the tent and look into the trees. And he's there at like 60 yards, but it was just too dark. So you, I mean, you spooked him off into the timber when you approached the tent, right? Yeah, he, they, it was him and a cow that I could tell. And they bumped back maybe a hundred yards into the timber behind our tent. And I don't know that they really knew what we were either. Or the wind was in our favor, thankfully. Yeah. And uh, it was so dark that I don't, I don't think they had really any idea what we were. They just didn't like when we were walking at them, I guess, talking in normal voices. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I ran up there and looked and I could see him kind of walking around in this. It was kind of a burn spot and I could see him walking through the timber, but it was still really thick and it was so dark that there was no way I was going to get a shot. So I didn't even knock an arrow, but um, that was, that was really refreshing too. Cause now we're like, okay, well, we're, we're in elk, but we are literally sleeping in elk now. In elk, yeah. Yeah. So, and our tent was all set up and stuff, so we weren't going to pick up and move now. And we already, uh, we figured the damage is done. So we mm-hmm. slept that night. That was a very restless night, though, because there was a lot of, it was really calm and there was a lot of noises around the tent. And uh, I haven't spent a lot of nights in the mountains. And, and I've heard some other guys on the previous podcast talking about trying to sleep at night. And, uh, it, it was a little bit of a rough night. I think between the two of us, we probably each got like an hour or two of sleep, whether that be because we were scared or excited or both. But, uh, um, I take a, I have bad allergies and it was so dry. So thankfully I can take Benadryl at night and have an excuse to take it. Cause I need it to not sneeze, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, the Benadryl didn't help that night. I, I stayed awake and we, it was we we're thinking now that it was probably elk walking around behind us because when we woke up in the morning, we're like, okay, let's wake up. Here's our plan. We'll wake up like half hour, 45 minutes before first light, get everything packed up. And we'll, we'll do our, we'll do a first little like cow calling session from right here. Cause this is where they were last night. So why not start here? And my buddy lets out two cow calls. And we hear the worst, ugliest bugle I've ever heard in my life, like 300 yards in another direction from camp. And I look back at him and he looks at me and he like shrugs his shoulders. And I was like, that's almost got to be a person. That was horrible. And so he bugles back and the elk bugles again. And it's an even worse bugle this time. And we're like, there's no way there's a person over there like we slept here all night there was no other trucks at the trailhead even and that person had to have would have had to walk past us to get over there or get like they were way further away from the from the access than we were like and it was in a weird spot like down in a nasty hole so like it's got to be an elk but it sounds horrible so i go back over and meet up with him and he bugles again and the elk bugles again and I look at my buddy and he looks at me and we start laughing because we're like, oh man, of course there's a person down there. So like, we're like writing this thing off as a person. And I was like, well, we better go, we better at least go look like just in case. 
and I look down there and I can see the same six by six bull on a like on a V line right at us. I was like, oh my gosh, dude, there's a bull. He's coming to us right now. He's only like 150 yards away. So now we're on the ridge and he's below us and the wind is is coming down. And I get to the edge. There's a little bit of an opening. I get to the edge of that, but I'm on the top edge of it. So I'm really concerned about wind. Um, so it's if he comes out straight at me on the side hill, it's going to be a crosswind. And I figure that might work as long as it holds long enough for me to get a shot. If he comes out below us, I'm pretty much screwed. And I thought about trying to run through the meadow quick and it's like straight downhill. So I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. And I thought about running through the meadow to get down to the bottom and at least being on his level or he'd come out above me and the wind would be good. But I just figured there wasn't enough time. And I don't think there would have been before he came out into this little meadow. So he, long story short, he comes out in the meadow, walks into like 45 yards and there's brush in the way. He pokes his head out, smells me instantly and turns and runs. Never saw him again. And we uh, hunted that area for the rest of our trip and never did run into elk again and actually got ended up getting chased out of the mountains by a pretty nasty wind and lightning storm. So that was the end of the archery trip. Um, it, was, it was pretty cool to say that we had called in a bull after all of all the stuff that happened and not hearing any bugles at all finally hearing a couple of bugles and getting a bull to react a little bit um it was pretty cool to actually work a bull a little bit and get that experience under our belt yeah that's awesome man that's yeah i mean if your first archery elk hunt with just those encounters you had um that's a win that's cool man yeah and that that's exactly how we viewed it viewed it too um we're like we did exactly what our plan was we stayed mobile we got into elk a, a few times we called in a bull like what more could we ask for yeah. so yeah that was that was a lot of fun for that first week of september um mm-hmm. other than it being so hot uh the hikes were just miserable yeah so wrap up this hunt go home get married yada 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 yeah <laughs> <laughs> um when you so you're headed back for rifle season at what point were you hitting the rifle opener what's the timing of like picking back up the hunt i know i'm you know skipping over important life events like getting married but this is a hunting podcast yeah (laughs) so um so now my this this buddy that came with me the first trip he's not gonna be able to come on the second trip so i recruited another buddy who's very nice to me as well and decided he'd spend we'd have five days to go rifle hunting and now we're looking at so the area we'd been archery hunting is is very very thick like you're mostly banking on being able to call in a a bull because you're pretty much not going to be able to glass them up or anything like that so you need to either stumble into them or call them or hear bugles or something to find the elk and i didn't want to hunt that with a rifle so we're looking at different areas that kind of play to our strengths we hunt a lot of mule deer together we're like we're really good at glassing we really like glassing i was like let's find a spot where we can do that so we pick out an area that's pretty open a lot of burns um real steep still real good rugged terrain we're like that should help keep a little bit of people out um 
and it's it was just really open and we got like a we had like six or seven glassing knobs picked out to get to so we're like we should be set for five days easily so we drive in there this is opening it's not opening weekend of rifle season when but it's opening week or the second week yeah i want to say it was the second week of rifle season and much more favorable temperatures like 20 degrees 30 degrees high during the day so good hiking temperature and good hunting temperature in my opinion that's kind of my favorite temperature to hunt in but we get into this area we we had to drive in on a road that was like 10 15 miles long probably and there's tons of pull-offs and like campsites and trailheads that come off of this road and there is not a single other person there during rifle elk season in montana we're like oh no that can't be good and we didn't get too discouraged by it right away we're like you know what maybe we'll stumble into something and just get lucky and have the place to ourselves so at least there's that and we hunted that day or the so we got in there at like two in the morning woke up in the morning slept in a little bit so we could let some sunlight come up so we could kind of see what we were working with and it was absolutely beautiful country it looked really good there was a we saw a ton of deer and moose actually and bears and never found any elk never found any elk sign and we hunted there for for two days hit all of our glassing knobs we ended up being able to see see a lot more from our glassing knobs than we thought so some of the places that we thought were going to be like the little honey holes or little hidey holes were actually pretty easy to glass from either the road or from just real short glassing knobs and um, on this trip we didn't plan on doing any backpacking actually we were just gonna uh hunt from the truck and do day hunts so we didn't really get in it we brought camping gear just in case we saw something way off and needed to backpack but our plan was not to go in and backpack so we were staying pretty mobile again but weren't seeing elk and weren't seeing elk signs so again we're like okay well let's try something different so we go back to a place that we had i had been in the archery season the the one spot where we were able to glass and we get in there and there are so many people in this spot that it was unbelievable the the first trailhead we got to that we planned on hiking in on had i think eight wall tents set up at it and then maybe like 15 20 trucks and it's not a very big area and we're like holy cow like if that's what this trailhead looks like what are the other ones going to look like and we drove pretty much all the way through a, a mountain range and found one spot that didn't already have people a, a bunch of people at it so we pull over and we just out of pure frustration basically like that we didn't weren't even e-scouting this spot we we're just like this is the only spot there's not people right now let's go here and we hiked straight up a mountain like 1500 feet and got up to the top and it was just windy blowing like there was a ton of snow up there at that time so it was blowing snow in our face and I was I was pretty upset. I'm not gonna lie. We were sitting up there on a log and having some some deep life conversations because now we're three <laughs> days in and haven't even seen an elk or even like come close to anything. So we're sitting there pretty defeated. 
and I actually got to the point where we were discussing maybe just going back and hunting Eastern Montana for deer with my deer tag for the rest of the trip. Cause this is going so poorly at this time. And to top it off the, the night before that hunt, um, we were cutting firewood for our, our tent and I was stomping on some logs, kind of breaking them down into to burning size. And I hit one just right where it flipped up and hit me in the side of the head and like split my ear open and like really rattled my cage. So I'd had a, I'd had a pounding headache for like a day and a half now and probably a concussion from that. Not, not one of my proudest moments, but it was like Murphy's law for the beginning of this trip. We're like, anything that can go wrong is going to go wrong. And so we're like, okay, we need to, first of all, get somewhere where we got good enough service where we can do some real scouting right now. And we probably should just go get a hotel and get your ear cleaned up and maybe get some real food and just reset. Like, let's, let's just start fresh. We've got two and a half days to hunt. Let's, let's just do a whole reset. He's like, okay. So we go into town. There's one hotel room left open. We've overpaid a lot for it, but it was worth it at that time. And we we're sitting in there. I get, I get my ear all cleaned up. We're sitting there quiet. And he's like, okay, let's, let's go get some food. I'm like, okay. So we go walk downtown and found a little bar and we're sitting in there like dead silent. Like, we're probably in there for 45 minutes and have said maybe five words to each other. We're just buried into our phones looking for the next spot. Like we got to come up with something good. And out of nowhere, this guy walks over, taps on my buddy's shoulder and he goes, you guys elk hunting? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, well, where are you from? And we told him we're from Bismarck, North Dakota. And he goes, Oh yeah, me too. That's pretty cool. We ran into out, out, ran into each other out here, and we're like, "Yeah." We're like, "What are What are you up to?" And he's like, "Oh, I just brought my my wife and my sister out here for an elk and deer hunt. We had we had general tags, and we we shot we filled three elk tags and two deer tags in the last three days." We're like, "Holy cow! This guy's got it figured out." Yeah. And he's like, "So how's your hunt going?" And we're like, "Well, pretty bad. We haven't seen an elk." And he's like, oh, you guys got maps on your phone? I'm like, yeah. He's like, can I see it? Uh, yeah, here, take take our phones, sure. And he goes on our phones and he's dropping pins on spots that he had seen elk the, the last three days and where they had been on elk. And he's like, oh, yeah, we were in bulls every single day. They go, they go here in the morning. And we if you don't see them here, then just walk over this ridge and they'll be there. We're like, no, this is there's like no way that this is happening right now and he's like dead serious doing all this giving us all the pins telling us all the information and then he's like yep all right i'm out of here and he just walks out the door (laughs) 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 and my buddy and i sat there and giggled like little schoolgirls for like 20 minutes it was (laughs) it was like the the just the greatest gift from God at that time that we could ask for. We were just so happy. I'm a North and, Dakota elk hunting angel. Yeah. I was like, 
I was in, I was, we were literally just in awe. Like that doesn't happen. Like I would never expect anything like that to happen. And now we have like this rock solid gold information of where the elk are at. Allegedly, we weren't even sure if we should believe this guy at this point because of how much information he gave us. Yeah. And we're like, but why would he lie? And like, he's said he's done hunting. So I guess what has he got to lose at this point? So we go back and sleep like babies that night in the hotel and got up and went into the area where he said there was going to be elk. And we, we hike up there and it's like, not it's not even like a hard hike like it's like it's all like too good to be true like we're hiking in there and it's not up a steep climb or anything it's a relatively flat hike and we get to this first spot and there's no we didn't think there was any elk in there and we're standing there like okay well this is where he said the elk were gonna be and my buddy's like well i'll walk down the ridge and i'll just look over there and you just hang tight and stay up here just in case something pops out and my buddy takes two steps and all of a sudden, I think it was six or seven cows come busting out from underneath us at like 20 yards and run up the chute and out of over the ridge. I didn't get a shot at him, but we're like, okay, well, he wasn't lying. There's elk here. And we, we run up over the ridge to, to go see where they went. And I look. We didn't see those elk, but we, I looked across to where the other spot where he said he'd seen elk and I see three elk and it looked like just had the coloration and mannerisms of bulls. And I saw three elk walk on the ridge and go over that ridge. So we're like, okay, well, like if we can't find these ones, I guess we got an, another set of elk to go look for. So we, we looked for these cows. We didn't find them. We're like, okay, let's just bomb over there quick. And we run over there, get on that ridge. And still weren't seeing any, we weren't seeing these elk that I had just seen there. It was probably an hour or two earlier now at this point. And my buddy looks up and he goes, elk. I was like, what? He's like, elk, they're running right at us. And we look out and we could see maybe like a mile across the canyon. There are five or six elk with a, with a bull sprinting like, on a they must have been bumped by somebody else they were on a full sprint right at us and we're like holy cow so i'm running trying to get into a spot trying to get set up to where i'm going to get a shot when they come into come into range and they come over i get on an old logging road and get set up and they're at like 350 yards i couldn't get a shot couldn't get a shot and then they they dip down into the bottom and kind of just walk into like we were kind of set up on a on top of a north slope so it was real thick and they like walked into our side of the slope so i couldn't see them anymore and i was like oh man it's like we just got that close and now i'm not going to get a shot because there's no way we're going to get in there and find those elk i was like not too down yet like if they come out the same way they went in we'll see them if they come out on the top they'll be at like a hundred yards so i was like okay i'm gonna sit here and wait if it takes all day i'll sit here all day and wait for these elk to come out or wait for a, a better idea to come into my head because i don't know what to do now and i'm sitting there and at this point my buddy and i had gotten kind of split up because i wanted him to stay up on top of the ridge to so he could see where the elk went just in case i lost them and 
he comes down through the trees to to meet me or he's working on his way down to meet me and i'm gonna go grab my because i had <laughs> full yard sale like there's elk coming i've dropped things all over the place my sling on my gun broke i had a shell that was reloaded with the with the bullet too far so i couldn't get it in into the chamber so i had to eject one out and had to go find that i was like okay I got to get my life back together here for a second. <laughs> Kid calm down. And I'm standing up to grab my pack and I look up and there is there is the 5 by 5 bull standing there at 100 yards exactly. So I was like like froze for a second, racked in around, shot and then he was gone. And I didn't have earplugs and I I don't have a suppressor unfortunately. So my ears are ringing, so I couldn't hear what happened, but I figured I'd hit him and it's a hundred yards. So like I should be able to make a hundred yard shot on a giant elk body, but, um, I've had some recent uh, bad experiences in my past that, uh, made me think otherwise. And it was just like in, like in all the wrong mindset, like, oh, I missed him or I wounded him or I didn't make a good shot. And it was offhand at a hundred hundred yards so it's like not the not an easy shot per se but um i wish i like i was just like second guessing myself the whole time like i wish i would have got set up better i wish i would have got on my pack or got the bipod down like i probably had all the time in the world but when the opportunity presented itself i kind of rushed it and i and i still to this day i think that was a mistake but um i did end up making a pretty good shot on him and he turned and ran into the trees and crashed uh, 15 yards from where I shot him. And when I walked up there and finally saw his body sitting there, like that was the most overwhelming feeling I've had in a very long time. Um, my buddy was there to experience it with me too. He didn't get to see me shoot the elk, but he was standing there next to me when I walked up on it and uh, just sat down. I think I sat down for maybe five, 10 minutes and just, prayed for a while and just like tried to gather my thoughts and like wow this like all finally came together and it happened in just the weirdest way imagine like i could have never ever guessed that i'd be sitting right here right now in with a with a dead elk in front of me and that this how this is how it played out like it was so bizarre that's wild yeah i mean who how could you have ever predicted all those circumstances right that led to that moment right like and we we still talk about it today and laugh and it's like it took a lot of explaining to our buddies to like convince like they i don't think our friends even believed what had happened because they're, they're <laughs> like no way somebody just walked in and told you where the elk are at we're like yeah like it, it actually happened like we have the pins that he dropped on our phones that's so wild man so wild and it's uh what's cool about the story is you guys you guys did put in so much work so it's like yeah you were you were given this intel and it clearly led to some great success but had that happened like randomly night one and then it's like okay i'll just go in and we ended up shooting an elk the next day whatever like okay i guess still a cool story maybe but i just love that you guys put in so much work, made a couple trips, like hiked all the miles, learned all the lessons, used all the days. Um, 
And then for it to come together like that, it's like, all right, that's that's extra sweet icing on the cake of effort. Yeah, right. Like I think I in my email I worded it perfectly, which was like, we got to fail a lot, got to learn a lot, got to hunt a ton, and got some hard learned lessons, which is what I wanted out of the hunt to begin with, and still got to come home with an elk just because of some happenstance lucky like it, it was definitely lucky i'm not afraid to admit that but um we did get to put in a lot of work and work hard for it it just didn't happen in the way that we, you'd think it would happen yeah there's always an element of luck it's not it's usually yeah. not you know a, an angel in a bar giving you a waypoint but there's always <laughs> an element of luck right yeah so you get this waypoint and you essentially go into this area based on that intel and it's not an area you had scouted and et cetera. But like, if you look back now or, you know, since that hunt, when you look at that area and like, I guess what I'm asking is, have you taken the time to like piece together? Okay. The elk were here. Why? Right. Like, what did you learn from that information you were given? I guess is a good way to put it. Yeah. So there is actually one little detail I left out before, and it was when we were driving from our spot that we had frustratingly hiked straight up a mountain for essentially no reason and then contemplated our life. Um, on our drive from that spot to the hotel, we had actually seen our first elk of the trip, and it was probably like a, I, I say 320 bull is probably like 300, but to us it looked like a 320 bull standing out in the bottoms you know in montana it's like you're either in the mountains or you're in these big valleys and he was standing in the ditch at like three four hundred yards and we watched him walk towards a pivot and there was actually some block management around that area in this like lower flat rolling hill country and we're like okay well that's the first elk we've seen the whole trip we haven't seen anybody hunting that block management and there's a ton of people in the mountains maybe the elk are just getting pushed out of the mountains and they're out here already like are going into it i had thought that maybe the elk wouldn't be there yet because there's not a ton of weather in the mountains and that's just kind of like what you're told like the weather pushes the elk out um but maybe maybe the elk are out there so that was actually going to be our game plan ahead of time we were looking at some like lower country stuff some block management stuff some just like lower public land stuff on the fringes of the mountains and like tucked in between private and stuff. So that was actually our new plan was to just try to hunt some lower country. And the, the guy who had been hunting dropped us these pins and it wasn't a spot similar to that, like lower country, not a ton of thick timber, not real steep mountains, but still, still mountains. And there was, I, we, we look at it a lot and we're like, I don't know if I'd ever, even knowing now that there's elk there, I don't know that I'd have picked that spot specifically, but it does make sense. Like there's easy water access, a ton of private around it. Like most of the, the valleys in Montana are private, which is no secret, but maybe they're just like intermingled. These inter, intermingled public land pieces are like the ticket right now. And that kind of turned out being true. So I think that played a lot into it. I think it played a lot 
into how many people were maybe on in the mountains already and the the pressure from there maybe pushed them out a little bit but I didn't we just didn't think that there'd be elk in that that kind of terrain that early in the rifle season we definitely heard that they could be there towards the end of the season in like late November but in late October or mid October we didn't think that we'd find elk there and it turns out we were very wrong I want to ask you 15 more questions, but we're an hour plus already. So I don't yeah. want to keep you all day, but sure. what a cool story, man. I appreciate you reaching out um, and then hopping on here and sharing it with us. It's uh, I just love like all the different ways that not only you can find success in hunting, but just the all the different experiences like this is such a some elements of your story are not unique right like the challenge yep. the struggle figuring things out etc but then you just like every hunt has a unique story and i think that's one thing i don't know i've personally enjoyed about the podcast is it's an opportunity to like hear the whole story because let's say you post you know a picture of your elk on instagram like that never tells the story and i'm all about like the experience in the story not the trophy photo and so i just it's cool story man thanks for sharing yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on to share too. What a great story. Congrats again to Tanner. For all of you listening, thanks again for tuning in. If you have any questions or anything for us, send that email to podcast at exomountgear.com. If you've been enjoying the show and haven't yet done this, please consider taking just a few seconds to leave a rating or review in whatever podcast app that you are using. Uh, we don't do any advertising or things like that for the show, so it only grows and we only continue because of your support. And when you leave a rating or review, it truly does help us out. And finally, if you haven't yet hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app, be sure to do that so that you receive future episodes automatically. And we'll talk to you soon.